0: If God is loving toward all, does that mean that he desires to be merciful toward all? I mean, didn't God say that he'll be merciful to whom he'll be merciful? We're going to talk about this today and a lot more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Are you very serious? Hello, everybody, and thank you for downloading us today. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Thursday, August the 27th of 2009, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and welcome to our second-to-last lesson on knowing God. This is our second-to-last lesson before we wrap things up completely. Uh, We'll have one more lesson next week, so uh, be sure to, to tune in for that. But thank you so much for downloading this message today. And for joining us, it's always just a a privilege to have you guys here with us, and this has been a really neat study. It's been long. We've been going since, uh, I think, October of last year, uh, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, it's been a uh, long series that we've done with a few breaks in between. But hopefully you guys have gotten a lot out of it, um, something that I've gotten a lot out of, just reviewing this material. This is something, again, that you know I went through in a, in a class, in a 600-page book. So hopefully I've condensed that a little bit for you guys, and you guys have been blessed by it. I did want to remind you guys just real quick before we get started that our book of the month this month is The Message Behind the Movie by Doug Beaumont. He's a professor of philosophy at uh, Southern Evangelical Seminary and theology. I think he teaches some uh, some theology classes as well. But he's in the Ph.D. program there, in uh, you know, in the philosophy of Ph.D. program there. So uh, he is definitely more on the philosophy side. He's uh, really uh, insightful in this book when it when it comes to modern media. Uh, I've I've never read anything more insightful than this book. So this month, everybody who makes a tax-deductible donation of fifty dollars or more to our ministry is going to get a copy of this book sent to you. We've got a few days left in the month to go here, but uh, so if you're interested, if you want to make a donation, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcast.org, and on the right-hand side, you can click on the support box and make your tax-deductible donation through PayPal right there. So anyway, God bless you guys. It's awesome to have you here today. Let's go ahead and get started with our lesson. Uh, We do kind of have a lot to cover today. Uh, This is a very... Uh, somewhat controversial subject. I'd say it's very controversial because there are a lot of misunderstandings about what it means and whether it's even valid or not to say that God is merciful. Well, at this point in our study, you know, we've actually concluded our study of the actual attributes of God. Uh, When we're talking about God being merciful, that's not an attribute. However, before we wrap our study up completely, which we'll do next week, there are actually two very important things that can be said about God, which logically and necessarily flow from some of his other attributes. We're going to cover the second one next week, but the one that we're going to cover this week, uh, the, the quality that we're going to cover this week is mercy. And again, let's make note of the fact that this is not an attribute of God per se. Rather, it's an activity of God which results from a combination of attributes such as immutability, righteousness, uh, justice, holiness, and love. And when you put all those attributes together, when, when all of these attributes are put into action simultaneously, what do you get? You get mercy. Well, before we uh, proceed here, let's go ahead and just ask the question, what is mercy? What does it mean when we say that about God? Well, there are several Hebrew words, which are used in the Old Testament, of course, which indicate that God is merciful. It can mean ransom or propitiatory in some instances. Uh, in other instances, it can indicate compassionate love. It can also mean all good or all loving in some other cases. In the Greek, used in the New Testament, again, there are several terms which imply God's mercifulness. Some terms indicate the action of showing mercy pity or uh, or compassion even another term would indicate sympathy so all of these terms communicate something meaningful about god although god because he's infinite in nature and essence is all of this and more as uh, as paul wrote in romans chapter 5 verse 20 he wrote where sin increased grace abounded all the more I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse, and he paraphrases it very accurately, I might add. He says, Sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with the aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. End quote. And of course, that's a paraphrase. That's not coming uh, from the English translation. That's taking all the implications that are in the Greek. And Eugene Peterson is a linguistic scholar. He knows the Greek better than all. Almost anybody. He's, he's a linguistic scholar. So he's taking all the implications in the Greek and paraphrasing it based on that. And I think that's a very good paraphrase of what that verse is trying to communicate. But, you know, God's mercy is beyond measure, and that's what it's saying. And as such, we can only describe it to an extent, since we're trying to say something finite about that which is infinite, namely God. Now, as we just noted, God's mercifulness is rooted in several of his attributes. Let's talk about that. First of all, it's rooted in his all-loving nature. In Numbers chapter 14 verses 18 and 19 we read, The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations. Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as you have also forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. Of course, this was a prayer of Moses. And so thus his all-loving nature leads God to desire the opportunity to forgive. Uh, God's mercy is also described as being great. That's something that we can say about, uh, about God's mercy is that it's great. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 19, Lot proclaims, Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness which you have shown me by saving my life. Now, as we just observed, Moses pleaded with God, saying, Pardon, I pray, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your loving kindness. That's from Numbers chapter 14, verse 19. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6, Solomon says, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness. Nehemiah proclaimed the greatness of God's love, saying, quote, I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this also remember me, O my God, and have compassion on me according to the greatness of your loving kindness. That's from Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 22. And of course, in the New Testament, we read uh, of God's, uh, the greatness of God's loving kindness as well. In uh, In Luke, we read of Elizabeth in the first chapter, uh, and here Luke wrote that, quote, her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. That's from Luke chapter 1, verse 58. In Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes that, quote, God, being rich in mercy because of his Great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved." God's mercy can also be said uh, to be eternal, just as he is eternal. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 15, God says, My lovingkindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And then he, he goes on to make his everlasting covenant with David uh, in the verse that follows, promising, quote, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever your throne shall be established forever and then in first chronicles chapter 16 verse 34 we find the basis for uh for actually a, for a modern worship song where we read give thanks to the lord for he is good his love endures forever we later read that they lifted up their voice accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and when they praised the Lord saying he indeed is good for his loving kindness is everlasting that's second chronicles chapter 5 verse 13 and of course first and second chronicles go together they're they're one uh, one document they were broken in half because of the size of uh, because of the size of them and then again in second uh, chronicles chapter 7 verse 6 we read the priests stood at their posts and the levites also with the instruments of music to the lord which king david had made for giving praise to the lord for his loving kindness is everlasting and again in second chronicles chapter 20 verse 21 we read they went out before the army and said give thanks to the lord for his loving kindness is everlasting well, gee, you know, you'd think that uh, the everlasting nature of God's mercy is maybe a theme in Second Chronicles, wouldn't you? Yeah, it definitely is. You know, we can also say in regards to God's mercy that he's faithful, and that flows from his unchanging nature. Uh, The NIV translation renders uh, Exodus chapter 15 verse 13 as saying, In your unfailing love you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength you will guide them to your holy dwelling. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9, Moses writes, "...know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation." With those who love him and keep his commandments. In Isaiah chapter 49 verse 7, God declares, Kings will see and arise. Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful. In Hosea chapter 11, verse 12, which is the perfect illustration of God's uh, faithfulness, by the way, the book of Hosea. But here we read, Ephraim surrounds me with lies and the house of Israel with deceit. Judah is also unruly against God, even the Holy One who's faithful. We also find this theme in the New Testament. Uh, as well, of course. Paul writes, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, we read, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, we read, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And then we find one of the greatest assurances of the security of our salvation in God's faithfulness just as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13 where Paul writes if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself so clearly uh, God is also faithful with his mercy God's mercy is also patient and long suffering in numbers chapter 14 verse 18 which we've already read you know we saw that Moses wrote that quote the lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But the key there is that the Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. This is also uh, clearly implied in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where Peter writes, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all To come to repentance. And so thus we see that God's mercy flows from his infinite and his eternal nature, as well as from his omnibenevolence, or his all loving nature, and his immutability. So, since God is infinite, unchanging, and all loving, it necessarily follows that he is infinitely and unchangeably merciful. To deny his mercifulness toward each and every person, one must necessarily deny. One of those attributes of God. However, that doesn't mean that God is actually merciful to all. It only means that God, in accordance with his all loving nature and unchanging nature, must offer mercy. To all, and further, this also indicates that unlike Allah, you know, the false god of Islam, God is not arbitrarily merciful, and we're going to deal with some objections related to those two positions here in just a moment. But first, let's go ahead and just take a look at what the Church has historically affirmed in regards to God's mercifulness. Irenaeus, uh, who was of course one of the earliest Christian apologists and one of the great uh, Christian apologists of all time, he wrote that quote: "It is indeed proper to God and." befitting his character to show mercy and pity and to bring salvation to his creatures. Uh, Clement of Alexandria wrote that, quote, God, being by nature rich in pity in consequence of his own goodness, cares for us, though we are neither portions of himself nor, by nature, his children. And this is the greatest proof of the goodness of God, that such being our relation to him and being by nature wholly estranged, he nevertheless Cares for us, and he goes on to say, "The mercy of God is rich toward us who are in no respect related to Him." Saint Anselm also wrote that, "O mercy, from what abundant sweetness and sweet abundance do you flow forth for us? O boundless goodness of God, with what feeling should you be loved by sinners? For you save the just whom justice commends, but you free sinners whom justice condemns." And Thomas Aquinas, who, of course, is the greatest theologian and apologist of all time, just my personal opinion, (laughs) he wrote that, quote, God acts mercifully, not indeed by going against his justice, but by doing something more than justice. Thus, a man who pays another... 200 pieces of money, though owing him only 100, does nothing against justice, but acts liberally or mercifully. The case is the same with one who pardons an offense committed against him, for in remitting it he may be said to bestow a gift. And then Aquinas goes on to write, quote, hence it is clear that mercy does not destroy justice, but in a sense is the fullness thereof, End quote and finally john calvin noted that quote without any merit of ours our salvation depends entirely on the mercy of god and quote and so clearly the church has historically affirmed that god is indeed merciful well at this point let's go ahead and address some of uh, some of the objections related to god's mercifulness and some of these are very serious objections and uh they're also all very common So let's go ahead and talk about those. Well, first of all, according to the strong Calvinist position, God cannot be said to be essentially merciful, since he's only merciful to those whom he chooses to be merciful toward, but not toward others. And this is supported by Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, where God declares, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then Romans chapter 9, verse 18 seems to echo this this notion, where Paul writes that, He hardens whom he wants to harden. And so thus the strong Calvinist position maintains that God's mercy is arbitrary, and as such, he can't be said to be essentially arbitrary. Uh, merciful or uh, mercy can't be said to be essential to his nature or being now, in response, we should first make note of the fact that this argument denies. That God is all-loving, since in order to deny mercifulness as an essential quality of God, one has to either deny his all-lovingness or his immutability, or or both. And this argument doesn't really say anything in regard to his immutability or his unchanging nature, and so thus it must necessarily deny God's all-lovingness. That seems to be pretty clearly implied in the argument. So when we're responding to this, uh, let's go ahead and and examine Exodus chapter thirty-three, verse nineteen, which says absolutely nothing about salvation whatsoever. Rather, the meaning of this verse, just like with every other verse, must be seen in light of the context. And in context, we see that Moses has just asked to see God with his own two eyes. In the preceding verse, Moses says, I pray you, show me your glory. And in the verse that follows, we read, But he said, that is God said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. So this doesn't apply to salvation at all. This applies to somebody uh, laying their eyes on God and seeing God. You simply can't take a verse that isn't referring to salvation and apply it to salvation. Uh, the second verse used to support this argument uh regarding the the hardening uh, from Romans chapter nine verse eighteen is also an invalid application of the text. First of all, this ninth chapter of Romans isn't even referring to individuals; it's referring only to nations it's talking about the election of Israel as a nation, and secondly, when Pharaoh had his heart hardened, it wasn't because God arbitrarily hardened his heart. to the contrary. If you examine the text of Exodus, we find that Pharaoh hardened his own heart nine times before God finally stepped in and hardened it for him. So in essence, Pharaoh was repeatedly demonstrating a desire for a hardened heart, and after repeatedly trying to get Pharaoh to soften his heart and to uh, to turn away from his sin, uh, God finally gave him his heart's desire. The same sun that melts wax also hardens clay. The difference isn't in the sun. The difference is in the agent receiving the sun's rays. And finally, uh, just one final note here. We shouldn't miss the significance of denying God's mercy toward all people. If God can arbitrarily offer mercy to some but not others, then voluntarism, is correct. Of course, voluntarism, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with the term, asserts that something is morally good simply because God does it, rather than asserting that God does it because it's good. It's kind of a case of putting the uh, the carriage before the horse. So the position of voluntarism is the position that Islam actually has in regard to Allah. The false god Allah is arbitrary and can do evil, and it's still good because Allah is arbitrary and he can do whatever he wants. And whatever he does is good just because he does it. Well, why in the world would Christians who hold to the strong Calvinist position apply a characteristic of a false God to the true living God of the Bible? The fact is they shouldn't, but they do. Contrary to voluntarism, God is only capable of doing that which is good. That's why it says that God uh, cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie because He's good in accordance with His nature and His essence. It's impossible for Him to do something which isn't good. It's not that whatever He does is automatically good. Scripture's clear. God desires to save all people. That's what we get from Second uh, Peter chapter three verse nine, which we already talked about. And He also calls all people to repent. That's from Acts chapter seventeen verse thirty. So clearly. Uh, This position is not accurate. And this actually leads to our second objection, and that's this. If God is merciful toward all, then everyone will be saved. But the Bible clearly teaches that this is not the case, and thus it must not be true that God is merciful toward all. Now in response, uh, God's mercy toward all only requires that he desire and provide a means for pouring out his mercy on all people. It doesn't require that he must or will to save them all, even if it's necessary to veto the free will of the individual. Jesus taught that everyone is invited to receive God's mercy through the gospel, but he didn't teach that everyone will respond affirmatively to that invitation in order to have the crucifixion applied to our sin, we must accept that gift. So a third objection, which is perhaps the most common of all, is that mercy and wrath are uh, are contradictory, they're incompatible with one another. God's wrath is necessarily implied in his righteousness and justice, and thus it seems that God can be either pouring out his mercy or his wrath, but not both. Now, in response, this is actually pretty simple, and we've talked about it here on uh, on BibleStudyPodcast.org before, uh, mercy and wrath are like two totally separate rivers that the individual can float down. Now, these two rivers don't collide, causing a necessary contradiction, and so thus there are no compatibility issues when speaking of God's wrath and mercy. His wrath is only poured out on the unrepentant, and his mercy is only poured out on the repentant. The only way for wrath and mercy to be incompatible or uh, self-negating, I guess, self-defeating, is if they were applied to the same person at the same time and in the same sense, but they're not. They're applied to different individuals, so thus there is no issue with incompatibility when we're talking about God's mercy and wrath. So anyway, I uh, hope that clears it up. If you have any questions related to this issue, feel free to email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And uh, by the way, if you uh, if you feel like it, you know, write me and let me know what you think of the new intro. Uh, I'm curious what you guys think. I'm not sure if I'm going to keep that or not. It's a little bit more snazzy, maybe. But uh, anyway, I was just bored and <laughs> decided to play around with our intro. So, anyway, God bless you guys, and thank you so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a ministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit, listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. We'll